Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. Thank you for joining us for the January 5th, 2023, Thursday's reading of the Boulder Daily Camera and the Longmont Times Call. My name is Nicola Fordwood. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. From the Daily Camera, Recession Concerns, Leaders Pessimistic Despite Improvement, written by Lucas High. McCarthy voted down time after time for speaker, written by Lisa Mascaro and Farnoosh Amiri. State Legislature. Water shortage will be centerpiece of agenda this season. Written by Nick Coltrane. Broomfield Woman Tests Trivia Knowledge on Jeopardy. Written by Sydney McDonald. And following up with miscellaneous articles. The following main articles from the Longmont Times Call. Boulder County District Attorney. Charges and crash upgraded after death of victim. Written by Mitchell Byers. Public Building, Boulder Reopens Community Center After Cleaning, written by Dana Cady. Train Strikes Car at 63rd Street, written by Amber Carlson. Corridor Study, Louisville Lafayette Move to Improve Safety on Colorado 42, written by Andrea Grajeda. And following up with miscellaneous articles. From the Daily Camera. Recession Concerns, Leaders Pessimistic Despite Improvement, written by Lucas High. Despite signs that Colorado's economy remains relatively strong heading into the first quarter of 2023, state business leaders are expressing near-historic levels of pessimism, with many saying they believe a recession is imminent. More than half, 57.8%, of the Colorado business leaders surveyed as part of the University of Colorado's first quarter 2023 Leeds Business Confidence Index think a recession is on the horizon in the first half of the year. The LBCI was 39.8 for the first quarter of 2023, a figure that remained unchanged quarter over quarter and represents the fourth lowest tally ever recorded in the index's 20-year history. An LBCI score, which is based on impressions of the state economy, national economy, industry sales, industry profits, industry hiring, and capital expenditures of 50, is neutral. The survey includes responses from 143 Colorado business leaders, among the top concerns for business leaders, according to the LBCI, were high interest rates and inflation, labor shortages, and fears about slowing consumer spending. Pessimism rules the day, despite data that shows that Colorado's employment recovery has outperformed most other states since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, said Rich Wabenkind, faculty director and senior economist at the BRD. Additionally, there are lots of positive signs in terms of inflation coming down. In many ways, whether or not we have a technical recession is somewhat immaterial, so as long as business leaders behave as though one is rapidly approaching, Wabenkind said. Business leaders tend to be more pessimistic than what we believe is the coming reality, he said, attributing the negative feelings to organizations, internal data that could be more dire than publicly available statistics, as well as the potential of any overrepresentation among LBCI respondents from sectors that are heavily dependent on low interest rates. 
Respondents recorded negative perceptions for all six components of the LBCI heading into the first quarter of 2023. Industry sales and profits each declined quarter over quarter by 1.3 and 2 points, respectively. Individuals with a negative sales outlook, 51%, outweighed those with positive perceptions, 20.3%, while 28.7% remained neutral, the index report said. This imbalance was even more pronounced for profits. The negative perceptions outweighed positive, 51% to 18.2%. 30.8% remained neutral. Looking ahead, business leaders expressed slightly more confidence. The LBCI for the second quarter of 2023 was 432 That's an improvement to be sure, but still well below the threshold for optimism. Congress. McCarthy voted down time after time for Speaker. Written by Lisa Mascaro and Farnu Shamiri. The Associated Press. Washington. House Republicans flailed through a long second day of fruitless balloting Wednesday, unable to either elect their leader, Kevin McCarthy, as House Speaker, or come up with a new strategy to end the political chaos that has tarnished the start of their new majority. Yet McCarthy wasn't giving up. Even after the fourth, fifth, and sixth ballots produced no better outcome, and he was left trying to call off a nighttime recession. Even that was controversial, as the House voted 216 to 214, amid shouting and crowding to adjourn for the night. No deal yet, McCarthy said shortly before that, as he left a lengthy, closed-door dinnertime meeting with key holdouts and his own allies. But a lot of progress. No progress at all was evident through the day of vote after vote after vote, as Republicans tried to elevate McCarthy into the top job. The ballots were producing almost the same outcome. Twenty conservative holdouts still refusing to support him and leaving him far short of the 218 typically needed to win the gavel. In fact, McCarthy saw his support slip to 201 as one fellow Republican switched to vote simply present. Seeking no quick way out of the political standoff, Republicans voted abruptly late in the day to adjourn for a few hours as they desperately searched for an endgame to the chaos of their own making. They were due back in the evening, but McCarthy wanted to take a break until Thursday. I think people need to work a little more, McCarthy said. I don't think a vote tonight would make any difference, but a vote in the future could. But even a simple motion to adjourn erupted into a floor fight, with Democrats and some Republicans insisting on a lengthy vote. McCarthy, the California Republican, voted to fight to the finish for the Speaker's job, despite the grueling spectacle, unlike any in modern times, that threw the new majority into tumult for the first days of the new, the new Congress. Animated private discussions broke out on the chamber floor, and in huddled meetings throughout the Capitol between McCarthy supporters and detractors searching for an off-ramp. Well, it's Groundhog Day, said Representative Kate Kamek, Republican Florida, in nominating McCarthy on the sixth ballot. She said, To all Americans watching right now, we hear you, and we will get through this, no matter how messy. But the right-flank conservatives, led by the Freedom Caucus and aligned with Donald Trump, appeared emboldened by the standoff, though Trump publicly backed McCarthy. This is actually an invigorating day for America, said Representative Byron Donalds, Republican Florida, who was nominated three times by his conservative colleagues as an alternative. There's a lot of members in the chamber who want to have serious conversations about how we can bring this all to a close and elect a speaker. The House gaveled in at noon, but no other work could, could be done swearing in new members, forming committees, tackling legislation, investigating the Biden administration, until the Speaker was elected. I still have the most votes, McCarthy said at the start of the session. At the end of the day, we'll be able to get there. But the dynamic proved no different from day one, as Democrats re-upped their leader, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, for Speaker, and Donalds offered his challenge to McCarthy in another history-making moment. Both Jeffries and Donalds are black. This country needs leadership, said Representative Chip Roy, 
the Texas Republican, noting the first time in history two black Americans were nominated for the high office, and lawmakers from both parties rose to applaud. It was the first time in a hundred years that a nominee for House Speaker could not take the gavel on the first vote. But McCarthy appeared undeterred. Instead, he vowed to fight to the finish. The disorganized start to the new Congress pointed to difficulties ahead with Republicans now in control of the House. President Joe Biden, departing the White House for a bipartisan event in Kentucky with Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell, said the rest of the world is looking at the scene on the White House floor. I just think it's really embarrassing it's taking so long, Biden said. I have no idea who will prevail. Tensions flared among the new House majority as their campaign promises stalled out. Not since 1923 has a speaker's election gone to multiple ballots, and the longest and most grueling fight for the gavel started in late 1855 and dragged out for two months, with 133 ballots during debates over slavery in the run-up to the Civil War. A new generation of conservative Republicans, many aligned with Trump's Make America Great Again agenda, want to append business as usual in Washington, and were committed to stopping McCarthy's rise without concessions to their priorities. But even Trump's strongest supporters disagreed on this issue. Representative Lauren Boebert, a firm Colorado conservative who nominated Donald's the second time, called on the former president to tell McCarthy, Sir, you do not have the votes, and it's time to withdraw. Earlier Wednesday, Trump had done the opposite, urging Republicans to vote for McCarthy. Close the deal, take the victory, he wrote on his social media site, using all capital letters. Do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. As the spectacle of voting dragged on, McCarthy's backers implored the holdouts to fall in line for the California Republican. I do think members on both sides of this are getting a lot of pressure now, said Representative Tom Cole, Republican, Oklahoma. So I think the message from home is, hey, sort this stuff out. We don't have time for the small stuff and the egos. The standoff, the standoff over McCarthy has been building since Republicans won the House majority in the midterm elections. While the Senate remains in Democratic hands, barely, House Republicans are eager to confront Biden after two years of the Democrats controlling both houses of Congress. The Conservative Freedom Caucus led the opposition to McCarthy, believing he's neither conservative enough nor tough enough to battle Democrats. To win support, McCarthy has already agreed to many of the demands of the Freedom Caucus, who have been agitating for rules, changes, and other concessions that give rank-and-file members more influence in the legislative process. He has been here before, having bowed out of the Speaker's race in 2015 when he failed to win over conservatives. Everything's on the table, said ally Representative Patrick McHenry, Republican, North Carolina, except, he said, having McCarthy step aside. Not at all. That is not on the table. Democrats enthusiastically nominated Jeffries, who is taking over as party leader as their choice for Speaker. He won the most votes overall, 212. If McCarthy could win 213 votes and then persuade the remaining naysayers to simply vote present, he would be able to lower the threshold required under the rules to have the majority. It's a strategy former House speakers, including outgoing Democratic Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Republican Speaker John Boner, had used when they confronted opposition, winning the gavel with fewer than 218 votes. One Republican, Representative Victoria Sparts of Indiana, voted present on multiple rounds, but it made no difference in the immediate outcome. State Legislature Water shortage will be centerpiece of agenda this session. Top lawmakers address crisis as annual pre-legislative breakfast on Wednesday. Written by Nick Coltrane Colorado's top lawmakers spared no superlative in describing the need to address the state's water crisis at the annual pre-legislative breakfast Wednesday morning. The annual business legislative preview, hosted by the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, serves as an unofficial start to the legislative session. 
While crime, housing, and decarbonization were all discussed, it was water that incoming Speaker of the House, Julie McCluskey, said would be the centerpiece of the legislative agenda. Senate Majority Leader Dominic Moreno joined McCluskey on the Democratic side of the panel. And incoming Senate Minority Leader Paul Linden and House Minority Leader Mitch Lynch, Mike Lynch, represented the Republican side. Each side noted the political reality of the upcoming legislative session. Democrats defied even their own expectations, Moreno said, by winning seats in each chamber this November to hold a supermajority in the House and by one seat shy of the two-thirds threshold in the Senate. But each side underscored the importance of water and the desire to be part of the conservation. They also noted the complexity of laws governing the resource, other states' rights, and over-slurping of water. For almost all of us up here, and quite frankly, probably most of you folks in the room, this is an issue we don't have the depth of knowledge we ought to have, Lundin said. Water is critical. It's not only critical today, but it's critical to the future of Colorado that our children and grandchildren will live in. He warned of the state's parched future if something isn't done to secure water and pledged his caucus engagement on the issue. Lynch likewise said water will dictate the future of the state. Each emphasized the need for new reservoirs to store water before it flows out of state. Lynch specifically praised the recent approved Northern Integrated Supply Project, which will build two new reservoirs in northern Colorado that will hold a combined estimate of more than 215,000 acre-feet of water. One acre foot is enough water to cover an acre of land in a foot of water and, at about 326,000 gallons, supply two households with water for a year. McCluskey said it will be on lawmakers and policy setters to leverage federal dollars for the Colorado Water Plan and prevent the direst predictions from coming true. Water is the conservation. It will be the centerpiece of our agenda this year, if for no other reason that Colorado has to, has to be seen as a leader in this space, McCluskey said. We know that, for far too long, the lower basin states have exceeded their use and the amount of water we have available to supply the western half of the United States. While she didn't explicitly call for more storage, McCluskey said after the panel that more storage isn't off the table but it will be part of a broader conversation. She predicted efforts around water will be the most challenging work the state has ever done. We need to have conversations that are difficult, whether it's around usage, whether it's around next steps in conservation or tactics that communities have to embrace to protect our resources, McCluskey said. State Senator Rachel Zenzinger, who chairs the powerful Joint Budget Committee, said she's heard requests that include the Attorney General asking for money to hire lawyers that specialize in water in anticipation of legal fights, money for conservation efforts, and burn scar rehabilitation to protect water quality from the soot and debris left by wildfires. Broomfield Woman Tests Trivia Knowledge on Jeopardy Written by Sydney McDonald The category is Game Shows. The answer is where one goes to put their trivia knowledge to the test. The question, where is Jeopardy? Allie Wegner, a staff researcher at Colorado Evaluation and Action Lab and self-proclaimed trivia fanatic, did just that when she scored a spot on the December 15th episode. I've always been really into learning and school and a genuinely curious person, she said. In college, I got into bar trivia, and during the pandemic, I began doing a lot of online trivia and really honed in on my skills. The Broomfield resident said the process of getting onto the show began last February after she took a test online. I had taken it once or twice before, and you can only take it once a year. So in February, I was able to try again, and I ended up doing really well on it, Allie Wegner said. She was contacted by the Jeopardy team to take the test again but this time it was proctored via Zoom to ensure she could replicate the results. At the end of June, they whittled it down even more and invited a select few to do a virtual audition to make sure you won't freeze up on live questions, Allie Wegner laughed. After that, you go into the contestant pool, 
and they say they might call you the next week, next year, or they might not call you at all. I was really excited when I got a call the next week. I thought it was a prank. Her husband, Aaron, said he had to confirm that that email from the producers was in fact real. The day she heard from the producers that they wanted her on the show, she was sick in bed with COVID, and called me over to have me look at her phone to tell her if it was a real conversation or if she had just hallucinated it because of her fever. He said, "It was the most fun day I've ever had." She said, "We got there at the crack of dawn and spent most of the day on set. Multiple episodes are filmed per day." So Ali Wagner said, for the most of the day, while you aren't filming or doing your practice rounds, you are in the back hanging out with about twelve other contestants. That was a really cool part, she said, getting to sit in the back with other people who also love Jeopardy and shout out the answers and cheer on the other contestants. I was one of the last episodes of the day to film, so it really helped me get some of the jitters out. Aaron Wagner said, throughout preparation for being on the show, that his biggest concern for his wife. Was her not being quick enough on the buzzer? I was really excited and proud when she jumped out to an early lead, knowing that no matter what happened, she would be happy that she had a fast start and her nerves would go down. He said, "It's just too bad that she got matched up against two extremely strong players who were really fast on the buzzer, because if just a few other questions had gone the other way, she would have had a chance to win. But even making it on Jeopardy is a big accomplishment. She is still a champion to me." One of Ali Wagner's most memorable questions came from a question she and her friends had missed just the week before filming at a trivia game in Denver. Thanks to Denver Bar Trivia, I was a hundred percent sure about the answer. Ali Wagner laughed. It cost me about thirty dollars in bar trivia and won me about six hundred dollars on Jeopardy. She ended up in third place during her episode, but Ali Wagner said it was extremely fun and got her out of her comfort zone. It was a big confidence booster for me," she said. "It was a great exercise in putting myself out there, and I feel confident in my skills and myself now." Ali Wagner said some of her fellow contestants have joined her online trivia league, and she hopes to continue the friendships she's created while filming the show. A few of us even went out after filming to play at a bar in LA," she said. After filming, Ali Wagner said she would love to try her luck on another game show. And would even love to create a trivia power team with other contestants from the Denver, Denver metro area. And news around the region: Boulder County, man who fled courtroom takes deal. A man accused of fleeing the Boulder County jail courtroom has taken a plea deal to resolve his cases. Cody Glenn Coon, 31, pleaded guilty in Boulder District Court on Tuesday to attempted criminal exploitation of an at-risk person. Criminal mischief and harassment. He was sentenced to four years of probation and 18 months of work release, according to online court records. Prosecutors dismissed the remainder of his charges. According to a release at 2 p.m. September 27th, Coon entered a courtroom located outside the secured perimeter of the Boulder County Jail at 3200 Airport Road. When the judge remanded Coon into the custody of the sheriff's office. Coon exited the courtroom and ran out of the front entrance of the jail. The release said, "Deputies chased Coon for a short distance, but did not catch him." Coon was arrested on outstanding warrants about a month later in Weld County. FRCC Ames ranked among top online learning colleges. Front Range Community College and Ames Community College have made Newsweek's top 200 list of best. America's best online learning colleges of 2023. The new list, compiled by Newsweek and database company Statista, places FRCC and Ames among the top 30 community colleges from around the country. Only four schools in Colorado made the list. Online learning became more important when the COVID-19 pandemic shut down or restricted access to most institutions. FRCC. With campuses in Boulder and Larimer counties, as well as Westminster, placed 109th on the list. Ames, based in Greeley, placed 145th. Newsweek based its new ranking on its own research about the institutions, as well as an online survey among U.S. residents who have used online learning services to obtain an 
to obtain an academic degree or acquire knowledge and skills for their professional or personal development. Broomfield, please seek help in finding missing man. The Broomfield Police Department is asking for the community's help in the search for a missing 27-year-old. Spencer McCollum, whose last known permanent address was in Broomfield, was reported missing on December 20th and has not been seen or made contact with anyone since. His last known activity was spending time with unidentified friends in the Denver area, and his phone was last active in the Denver, downtown Denver area, but it has either been turned off or disconnected from the network. McCollum's car was found in the Denver metro area, according to BPD Public Information Officer Rachel Hazlitt. McCollum is six feet, one inch tall, and weighs 190 pounds, with blonde hair and blue eyes. Anybody with information on McCollum's whereabouts is asked to contact BPD Detective Marshall at 720-887-5268. And around the world, Bosnia, ski resorts suffer as Europe sees record warm winter. Written by Sabina Nezkik and Jamie Keaton. The Associated Press, Sarajevo, Bosnia. The New Year's festivities are over in Bosnia, and visitors to the country's winter resorts are packing to go home. Spring-like temperatures have left little or no snow on the mountains, and it's unclear when the next visitors will arrive. The small Balkan country of 3.3 million is among several in Europe facing a ski season slump amid balmy climes that have swept much of the continent at 2023 begins. Along the slopes in Bejlanica near Sarajevo on Wednesday, snow accumulation amounted to little more than several white patches on an otherwise grassy landscape of brown and green. Record high daily temperatures for this time of year have been beaten, at times obliterated, in recent days at hundreds of meteorological reading stations in at least 11 countries. Bosnia, Belarus, Belgium, Czechia, France, Germany, Latvia, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Poland, and Switzerland. Belarus, Belgium, Czechia, Latvia, Poland, and the Netherlands set national record daily highs for, uh, for December 31st or January 1st. The UN's World Meteorological Organization has long warned about the ill effects of climate change and say the last eight years have been the eight hottest on record. The fallout this winter hasn't been limited to snowless slopes, where mid-range altitudes have been affected most of all. Weather officials and scientists say flora and fauna are feeling the impact too. Meteorologist Florian Imbury of Germany's National Weather Service, DWD, said the temperature anomaly seen over the New Year period could trigger unwanted plant growth, exposing crops to greater risk of frost damage later in the winter. Biologist Livio Ray, spokesman for the Swiss Ornithological Institute, said many ducks that would normally migrate to Switzerland this time of year from Nordic countries don't come anymore, like the tufted duck. Up in countries like Finland, they find food because the lakes aren't freezing, meaning they can continue to feast on mussels that they devour in warmer seasons and would normally be inaccessible because of ice in wintertime, Ray said by phone. While the warm spell has been hard on businesses depending on snow sports, higher temperatures have brought some relief in Europe's struggle with higher energy prices. Short-term natural gas prices, while still high by historical comparison, are now lower than they were before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russia's move to cut off most pipeline supplies to Europe sent prices as high as 342 euros per megawatt hour in August. On Wednesday, the price was around 69 euros per megawatt hour, down from 88 euros on the eve of the invasion in February. The warm spell reduces demand for gas heat and gas-generated electricity, easing fears of government-imposed rationing that would further hurt the econ European economy. But the record recent warmth has meant cold comfort for medium-altitude ski resorts like those in Bosnia, which have been feeling the pinch while the highest mountain peaks have still seen snow. On Vlaslik Mountain, near the central town of Zeneca, tourists packed up for an early return home amid spring-like temperatures. Hotel owners say bookings are down, and with them, both room prices and staffing levels.
Tourism officials said vacationers are forced to seek alternatives to skiing, like hiking on grassy mountaintops or riding ski lifts just for the views. Right now, when we should be welcoming skiers on our mountain, we have no snow, so there's no doubt that our business will falter. This is to be expected," said Dino Korajic, manager of the Suns Hotel in Vlasic. Our bookings correlate strongly with the weather forecast. Germany's DWD said a low-pressure front over Britain and Scandinavia carried a very lively current of warm subtropical air to Central Europe. Since ocean temperatures are still very warm, this resulted in unprecedented high temperatures around the New Year and double-digit Celsius daytime temperatures, at least 50 degrees Fahrenheit across most of the continent. The German Weather Service recorded more than 300 new station records for January on New Year's Day. For December as a whole, temperatures in Germany were 1.8 degrees Celsius higher than the 30-year average from 1961 to 1990. There are no obituaries in the Daily Camera today. And from the Longmont Times call, Boulder County District Attorney charges and crash upgraded after death of victim, written by Mitchell Byers. The victim of the Longmont crash in December died over the holidays. Leading prosecutors to upgrade the charges against the driver accused of causing the wreck, Fiona Aspla, 22, was initially charged with vehicular assault, DUI, DUI careless driving resulting in injury and child abuse. But the victim in the crash, Tainer Force, 30, died after family said he was declared brain dead in the days after the crash. That led prosecutors to file a motion to amend the vehicular assault count. The vehicular homicide. The motion was approved by a judge on December 29th. With the tragic passing of the victim, our office undertook a careful evaluation of the evidence. Boulder County District Attorney Michael Doherty said, "Based on that analysis, our office filed a motion to amend the most serious count to vehicular homicide, DUI. Our office has met with the family of the victim." And they will have our full support throughout this difficult process. Alspa is now set for a preliminary hearing on Tuesday. She remains out of custody on bond. According to an arrest affidavit, Alspa caused a three-vehicle wreck December 18th in the area of Pike Road and Industrial Circle. According to the affidavit. A witness called police and said Asplau had been driving erratically before the crash and was all over the road. The witness said Asplau almost stuck, almost struck the curb several times while she was driving. An officer said Asplau smelled of our alcohol and failed a field sobriety test. She was taken into custody after being medically evaluated at Longmont Uni- United Hospital. Force was airlifted to Denver following the crash. But according to a post on a GoFundMe page, Force was declared brain dead on December 22nd. Another post indicated Force died on Christmas Day, and that his heart and kidneys were donated. That saying, "Today is the first day of the rest of your life," became reality for three people on this Christmas Day. The post read, "Tainer's heart continues to beat in another part of the country. His kidneys are helping two others." During surgery, it was determined his liver was not transplantable. However, we are grateful for the gifts Tainer was able to provide. Public buildings, Boulder reopens community center after cleaning. Longmont plans to test for meth at public library. Written by Dana Cady. After serving as an emergency warming center from December 21st through December 24th, the East Boulder Community Center. At 5660 Suey Drive, was closed until Tuesday for extensive cleaning. During the building's use as a warming center, one person was reported to police for smoking meth in the restroom at the facility. Sarah Huntley, director of communication and engagement for the city, wrote in an email that the cleaning efforts did not involve meth remediation, as the one isolated incident did not raise concerns about contamination. The Boulder Public Library was scheduled to open this week after being closed since December 20th due to methamphetamine contamination. The Boulder Community Center cleaning was primarily focused on removing bedbugs and lice from the facility. 
Some of the center's recreational programming, such as New Year's Day fitness event, was moved to the North Boulder Recreation Center while the building was closed. The East Boulder County Community Center was fully treated and cleaned by Tuesday morning when it once again opened to the public. Jonathan Thornton, communications program manager for Boulder's Park and Recreation Department, said the community seems happy to have access to it again. People have their favorite rec centers that are close to home or work they love to go to, he said. There are a lot of people who are loyal to East Boulder, so they're really happy and they're coming back. In Longmont, officials are planning to test the public library for methamphetamine. Jeff Freisner, Longmont Director of Recreation, Golf, Library, and Culture, said in an email Wednesday that the city's public library at 409 4th Ave had not been tested for methamphetamine yet. Library staff is currently working with City of Longmont Risk Management to schedule testing, Fresner said. Protocols will be developed based on the results of the testing. Longmont has dealt with methamphetamine contamination in public housing, and an apartment on the first floor of the suite's supportive housing, which is a Longmont Housing Authority property, tested positive for methamphetamine contamination a couple of years ago. Boulder County, train strikes car at 63rd Street, driver taken to hospital. Written by Amber Carlson. A Longmont-bound train struck a car at the 63rd Street crossing on Wednesday evening, injuring the car's driver and causing damage to two other vehicles. Emergency crews responded about 5.25 p.m. to the call, just south of the diagonal highway. Rick Tillery, spokesman with Mountain View Fire Protection District, said that the train struck a dark-colored Toyota Corolla, causing it to spin around and strike two other cars. Corporal Josh Lewis of the Colorado State Patrol said that aside from the 2016 Corolla, the two other vehicles involved were a 2019 Toyota SUV and a 2021 Toyota pickup. The driver of the Corolla, a 48-year-old woman from Boulder, was transported to a local hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, Lewis said. The people in the other vehicles were not injured. Tillery said that law enforcement officers on the scene told him that the crossing arms were down at the time of the crash. Lewis said the train had begun moving again as of 7.25 p.m., but Colorado State Patrol was still investigating the crash. Corridor Study Louisville Lafayette Moved to Improve Safety on Colorado 42 Written by Andrea Grajeda Lafayette and Louisville City Councils each passed the adoption of a corridor study for Colorado 42 during their respective meetings Tuesday night. Lafayette Council voted 5-0 to zero with Mayor J.D. Maggant and Councilmember Ines Medrano absent. Louisville voted 6-0 with Mayor Ashley Stoltzman absent. Lafayette Transportation Engineer Michelle Melanakis said that the Future 42 project started in 2021 as a collaboration between Louisville and Lafayette to work on the Colorado 42 corridor. Melanakis said that so far field studies, community engagement windows, and stakeholder meetings have been conducted for the highway. Louisville Director of Public Works, Kurt Cower, told the Louisville Council that recommendations from residents were taken into consideration during public engagement sessions, included protected bicycle lanes, separated sidewalks, landscape buffers, protected intersections, channelized right turn lanes, and space for any future improvements. The same were recommended to the Lafayette Council. Adoption of the corridor study will list potential project phasing, implementation strategies, and environmental impact reviews. Melanaka said that due to long lead times for transportation designs and construction projects, interim buffered bike lanes will be placed on Colorado 42. Anthony Pratt, a planning and design practice builder for consulting firm Kimley Horn, said at the Lafayette meeting that one of the goals for the highway was to be safe and efficient. He said that an efficient corridor will not mean a speedy corridor in this instance, as it also needs to feel safe for foot traffic. This aligns with the Lafayette Comprehensive Plan, which includes a policy to promote safe, multi-module transportation by creating spaces for biking and pedestrians. 
The Future 42 project also plans to promote multimodal transportation. Pratt said the corridor could see a 15% decrease in traffic accidents and a proposed speed limit reduction. Pratt said that the proposed baseline road intersection should have a traffic calming effect and provide more safety for pedestrians crossing the road. Louisville Mayor Pro Tem Dennis Maloney said that 40 years ago, he used to ride his bike along Colorado 42 and has seen how busy the road has become. He said that the Future 42 project is aspirational. Council member Deborah Fahey said the improved corridor will improve pedestrian safety. I'll emphasize how important these improvements are to the safety of people traveling on Colorado 42, Fahey said during Tuesday's meeting. Lafayette Councilmember Tanya Briggs also emphasized the safety improvements. Highway 42 has scared the bejesus out of me for 14 years, she said Tuesday night. I'm so happy that it's becoming safer. Briggs and fellow Lafayette Councilmember Tim Barnes addressed residents' concerns during public comment. Briggs assured that the project was not going to be used to divert traffic from U.S. 287. Milanakis said there will be no vehicular capacity improvements to Colorado 42. Barnes said that a more efficient road will lead to less idle traffic and improve air quality, and that the protected bike lane and sidewalk will have traffic a safe distance from nearby neighborhoods. Grand Junction. Funeral home owner sentenced to 20 years in body sales case. A funeral home operator accused of illegally selling body parts and giving clients fake ashes was sentenced to 20 years in prison Tuesday by a federal court judge. Megan Hess received the maximum sentence after pleading guilty to mail fraud in November under a plea agreement in which other charges against her were dropped, the Daily Sentinel reported. U.S. authorities said that on dozens of occasions, Hess and her mother, Shirley Cock, who also pleaded guilty to mail fraud, transferred bodies or body parts to third parties for research without family's knowledge. U.S. District Judge Christine Arguello in Grand Junction also sentenced Coach on Tuesday to 15 years in prison. Arguello sentenced the pair after victims testified about the pain they suffered under the scheme. Hess 48 and Coach 69 operated the Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in the western city of Montrose. They were arrested in 2020 and charged with six counts of mail fraud and three counts of illegal transportation of hazardous materials. A grand jury indictment said that from 2010 through 2018, Hess and Coach offered to cremate bodies and provide the remains to families at a cost of $1,000 or more, but many of the cremations never occurred. Hess created a nonprofit organization in 2009 called Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation as a body broker service doing business as a donor service, authorities said. On dozens of occasions, Hess and Coach transferred bodies or body parts to third parties for research without family's knowledge, according to the U.S. Justice Department. The transfers were done through Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation and donor services, and families were given ashes that were not those of their loved ones, authorities said. Hess and Coach also shipped bodies and body parts that tested positive for or belonged to people who died from infectious diseases, including HIV and hepatitis B and C, despite certifying to buyers that their remains were disease-free, authorities said. Hess's attorney, Ashley Petrie, told the court Tuesday Hess was motivated by a desire to advance medical research. Assistant United States Attorney Tim Neff scoffed at the argument. Eight years of repeated conduct of this nature is all the court needs to know about her history and character, Neff said. Coach said during the sentencing hearing, I acknowledge my guilt and take responsibility for my actions. I am very sorry for harm I caused you and your families. Hess declined to address the court. A victim restitution hearing was scheduled for March. In business, social media. Twitter says it will relax ban on political advertising. The Associated Press. Twitter says it will ease up on its three-year-old ban on political advertising. 
The latest change by Elon Musk as he tries to pump up revenue after purchasing the social media platform last year. The company tweeted late Tuesday that we're relaxing our ads policy for cause-based ads in the U.S. We also plan to expand the political advertising we permit in the coming weeks, the company said from its Twitter safety account. Twitter banned all political advertising in 2019, reacting to growing concerns about misinformation spreading on social media. At the time, then CEO Jack Dorsey said that while internet ads are powerful and effective for commercial advertisers, that power brings significant risks to politics, where it can be used to influence votes to affect the lives of millions. The latest move appears to represent a break from that policy. Which had banned ads by candidates, political parties, or elected or appointed government officials. Political advertising made up a sliver of Twitter's overall revenue, accounting for less than three million dollars of total spending for the 2018 U.S. midterm election. Meta fined 390 million euros in latest EU privacy crackdown, written by Kelvin Chan, The Associated Press, London. European Union regulators on Wednesday hit Facebook parent Meta with hundreds of millions in fines for privacy violations, and banned the company from forcing users in the 27-nation bloc to agree to personalized ads based on their online activity. Ireland's Data Protection Commission imposed two fines totaling 390 million euros. 414 million dollars in its decision in two cases that could shake up Meta's business model of targeting users with ads based on what they do online. The company says it will appeal. A decision in a third case involving Meta's WhatsApp messaging service is expected later this month. Meta and other big tech companies have come under pressure from the European Union's privacy rules, which are some of the world's strictest. Irish regulators have already slapped Meta with four other fines for data privacy infringements since 2021, that total more than 900 million euros, and have a slew of other open cases against a number of Silicon Valley companies. Meta also faces regulatory headaches from EU antitrust officials in Brussels, flexing their muscles against tech giants. They accused the company last month of distorting competition in classified ads. The Irish watchdog, Meta's lead European data privacy regulator, because its regional headquarters is in Dublin, fined the company 210 million euros for violations of EU data privacy rules involving Facebook, and an additional 180 million euros for breaches involving Instagram. The decision stems from complaints filed in May 2018, when the 27 nation bloc's privacy rules, known as the General Data Protection Regulation. Or GDPR took effect. Employment, U.S. job openings stayed high in a sign of economic resilience, written by Christopher Rugeber, The Associated Press, Washington. U.S. job openings slipped in November but remained high, suggesting businesses are still determined to add workers. A blow to the Federal Reserve's efforts to cool hiring and wage gains. There were 10.46 million job vacancies on the last day of November. Down slightly from 10.51 million in October, the Labor Department said Wednesday. Openings peaked at 11.9 million in March. Yet the figures show there are nearly 1.8 jobs for every unemployed person, down from a peak of two, but historically very high. Before the pandemic, there were usually more unemployed people than jobs. Such a high number of job openings suggests the economy is not yet in recession or close to falling into one. Typically, businesses stop advertising job openings as the economy stumbles, and the high number of vacancies suggests the Fed will continue raising its benchmark interest rate at its coming meetings to quell inflation. Those higher rates will also raise the cost of mortgages, auto loans, and other consumer and business borrowing. For Fed officials, these data support the view that rates need to move higher and will need to stay high for some time. To soften labor market conditions and lower prices back to target, said Rebella Ferrucci, chief U.S. economist at High Frequency Economics, a consulting firm. In another key metric, the number of people quitting their jobs rose to 4.2 million, up from about 4 million in October.
This is below a record of roughly 4.6 million quits late last year, but is still elevated. Workers typically typically quit a job for higher pay and new positions. When a min, when many Americans quit, it can force businesses to pay more to keep their workers. The Federal Reserve is closely monitoring the figures on job openings and quits for signals about the strength of the job market. More quitting suggests there are still plenty of businesses desperate to hire, that are offering higher pay to lure workers from their current jobs. That runs counter to the Fed's goal of slowing hiring and the economy in order to bring down inflation. Price gains have weakened in recent months, but inflation was still high at 7.1 percent in November compared with a year ago. While more job openings are a benefit for those seeking work, Fed officials would like to see the number of openings fall. That's because fewer openings would indicate less competition between businesses to find and keep workers, reducing pressure on them to raise wages. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has highlighted rising pay as a factor in keeping inflation high. Bigger paychecks enable Americans to spend more and can push companies to raise prices to offset the higher labor costs. The Fed has raised rates seven times this year, to a range of 4.25 percent to 4.5 percent, and hopes cool off the economy without causing a recession. But it expects its rate hike. But it expects its rate hikes to push unemployment to 4.6 percent next year, up from 3.7 percent now, an increase that has never occurred outside of a downturn. The report comes just days before the government is scheduled to release the December jobs report on Friday, which will show how many jobs were gained last month and whether the unemployment rate rose or fell. Wednesday's report, known as the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, provides greater detail about the labor market. And from the obituaries, Jerry Michael Beffus, January nineteenth, nineteen fifty-three, through December twenty-fourth. 2022, Jerry Michael Buffis of Loveland, Colorado, passed away due to heart failure. A fifth-generation resident of the area, many relatives survive him. A viewing will be held Friday, January 6, 10:30 a.m. at Alberg's Funeral Chapel. The burial will follow immediately at Mountain View Cemetery. A memorial service will be held in the spring. Details to follow. Thank you for joining us for the reading of the Boulder Daily Camera and the Longmont Times Call. My name is Nicola Fordwood. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling three zero three seven eight six seven 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 seven.